Thank you for downloading this lunchtime talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. In this live recording, the Art Gallery's Senior Curator of Prints, Drawings and Photographs, Julie Robinson, discusses Patrick Pound's The Point of Everything in the 2018 Adelaide Biennial of Australian Art, Divided Worlds. Um, it's, it's great to see you all in this wonderful space where, uh, oh sorry, my name is Julie Robinson, for those of you who don't know me, and I'm the Senior Curator of Prince Drawings and Photographs. And it's great to see you all in this wonderful space, which is now inhabited by Patrick Pound's art piece called The Point of Everything. And this is a work that Patrick created specifically for the Adelaide Biennial. It has never existed before, and it will only exist for this one showing. Patrick Pound is a Melbourne-based artist, and he's lived there since 1989, but he's originally from um, Auckland in New Zealand. And I think the best way to describe Patrick is as a conceptual artist. And his practice as a conceptual artist is informed by his, sorry, I'll keep moving around a little bit, is informed by his obsessive collecting. And as a person, he's always had the impulse to collect things. And then once he, he realised he was going to be an artist, he collected objects which he felt were interesting for him as an artist. Sometimes those objects and items, early in his career, he collaged, started to use them in a collage way in his works. But then he felt that he was interfering with the items too much and he uh, ultimately decided that the objects that he collected himself would become the artworks but it was dependent on the way that he arranged them together. As well as collecting, Patrick has given a lot of thought to collecting. Uh, he thinks about and is interested in the nature of collecting. He's very aware of and interested in past artists who've been collectors. Um, I've had conversations with him, for instance, about Andy Warhol, because he's someone I've been working on at the moment, and Andy Warhol famously collected all the time capsules of um, all the information and detritus from his studio. Patrick's aware of his work. He's aware of many, many other artists. So um, he's aware of artists and interested in artists who have um, used found objects in their work, artists who have used vernacular photography, and the long history of artists who have actually engaged directly with museum objects. So he's a deep thinker behind all this um, obsessive collecting. When he does collect, uh, when he collects with his own collecting, he's interested in um, found everyday objects, objects which have lost their meaning. And he refers to them as objects which are just past their use-by date. And he sees them as ready for repurposing and re-looking at for his work. So, as a result of all his deep thinking and reading and understanding about collecting, Patrick has uh, come to a point where he collects according to very strict self-imposed categories, and he calls them constraints. 
And constraints is a term that he actually borrows from literature, so um, from French literature, the, there's a group of writers called the Uli Po group, some of you may have heard of them. And those writers, uh, Georges Perec would be one of them, uh, impose constraints on the structure of their writing. And they do this in order to trigger ideas and inspiration. And so in the same way Patrick introduces constraints and categories into the way he collects and the way he presents his objects, again, as a way of getting outside the usual meaning, a way of seeing the world differently and of generating new ideas about the world. And he does this by choosing uh, categories or constraints that are very mundane and everyday, idiosyncratic. Um, and he thinks the more mundane and uh, uh, benign these categories are, the better, because he's able to draw in more objects with that holding this same idea, they fit into this category, and he's able to test um, these objects in a way to give them a new meaning. It's, it's quite complicated, as part of his, to, to suppress their old meaning and give them a new meaning. Some of you may have seen, I hope, um, his, Patrick had a big exhibition at the National Gallery of Victoria last year, and it took up the whole ground level of the NGV Australia. And it, he called it the Great Exhibition, and it was an exhibition that showed the full range of art, his artistic practice. So it was like a retrospective, but it was also a project show. Um, Patrick has a great sense of humour, even though he doesn't think he does, and he knew that when he called it the Great Exhibition, he couldn't go wrong because reviewers would have to refer to it as a great exhibition. <laughs> that was one of his thinking. But, um, but anyway, in that show, it, it showed the full range of his practice and it um, highlighted the types of constraints and categories that he used. So I'm just going to give you a bit of a list of some of them so you get the idea of the way he works. So there was one work called The Photographer's Shadow. So literally all the works were of where people had photographed the shadow by mistake, mostly by mistake. Um, people holding cameras. Again, these are very just simple, uh, non-loaded sort of ideas. One work called The Readers, people reading. A work called Photography in Air, which brought in all sorts of ideas about air. Another work, I remember it took me a while to work it out, Absent Mothers, and you, you might see uh, there might be images of a child, but just a bit of a hand or a mother coming in, so it wasn't, wasn't just that the, the mother was absent, but there was a little bit of the mother in the image. Um, the hand of the photographer, often when photographers make mistakes and their hands in the photo. Um, on television, a whole load of images of people photographing things on television, driving by, again, a whole load of images about people photographing their cars as they're driving, um, the museum of falling that also took in objects. Uh, there's one great one that's people who look dead but probably, probably aren't. <laughs> a whole load of photographs. 
there's a museum of holes, which um, he also uh, presented that in Castlemaine at one, at one stage because Castlemaine, uh, I think there was a mining element there and he liked the idea of the holes and the mining. There's a work, People Seen From Behind, and also a work called Damage, which I'll talk a little bit more about later too. But in the case of this work in this room, the point of everything, every work that he has selected to include in this artwork has to hold the idea of the point and pointing. Um, and he, most of the things that he personally collects are everyday uh, found photographs, but he also collects objects depending on his need um, for the work. But what you can see in this room, I'm sure everyone can recognise many works from the gallery's collection, which are seen amongst Patrick's works, uh, Pat works from Patrick's collection. And this is a way that he's worked a couple of times in the past to create site-specific installations, where he's working with a particular institution, works, puts the same constraint on their collection that he puts on his own collection, and see. Uh, sees what result he will get. And of course, museum objects come with so much more baggage and meaning than his own objects. And he, uh, in his exhibition, the great exhibition last year, in the, the central room he had, he did this um, huge installation using the National Gallery of Victoria's um, collection with his own collection and it was called the Museum of There and Not There. So, you know, he has this established practice of working in this way. So when Patrick was invited to, by Erica Green to be part of the Adelaide Biennial, it was uh, really up to Patrick what sort of work he wanted to put in. And it could have been, for instance, a work that was just totally from his own collection, but he chose to work with the gallery's collection as well. He likes to, I guess, when he can get that opportunity to take it because it brings in so many more objects than he can collect himself. Um, and he started off with two ideas that he was exploring originally, and he explored those concurrently and eventually settled on this one, um, the point of everything. It's interesting, I think, to understand about the way Patrick works because as a conceptual artist, everything is important to this work. The finished product, but the way of making it is just as important. Um, so he firstly looked through the gallery's collection online and he was looking at the... You know, we don't have all of our collection online, but he, he looked through what he could see, and he started to look for like images, things that connected. He, and he, this is where he started to see this idea of the point coming out. He then followed that, that up by looking through, coming over to visit the, the gallery and to look through the actual objects in storage. And again, just following up on this, looking for like objects and eventually circling on pointing. A lot of the works, because of this constraint, the idea of the point or pointing, a lot of the works are of figures pointing. But interestingly, so it's sort of a common human gesture, but interestingly, within that, there's a whole range of ways of pointing and what that pointing might mean. And Patrick 
ponders that and he thinks about that as he selects the works. So it's a simple gesture, it's one that you don't even pay attention to most of the time, but he draws it to our attention and then asks us to uh, interpret it, bringing our own ideas to it. So in terms of uh, the collection, obviously there's images of people pointing, but it also might mean pointed objects. Um, it also might mean um, objects where they, there's a place name that has the word point in it, like rest point or point Lonsdale or something like that. Or it might be, um, and this is something that he says, um, you know, always look out. If, if you're looking at this um, display and, uh, you know, conversation I had with the, the people who were visiting them, when they couldn't work out what some of the objects are, try thinking about the title of the work, the artist's name, or the medium. So all of those give you um, permutations on point. In this display, he's largely used historical works when he's drawn from the gallery's collection. Um, and that suits him because, well, you know, he has used a, a few contemporary works, but he always seeks the permission of the artist for the contemporary works. Um, but he, he prefers to use historical works because they're, it's a bit like, they're not past their years by date, like he talks about his own collection, but they have, um, contemporary works are, are too loaded with contemporary meaning, and he, he wants works that are a bit, um, a bit more subdued in their meaning to us today. So with the gallery's collection, he's put a whole range of works from his own collection, um, including books um, that might have points in the title, pointing figurines, um, bus tickets, return to sand and stamps, you name it. He's, he's very um, forward in the way he thinks about the, the way he collects. Um, and many, many photographs. But as well as he's interested in the image, Patrick's very interested in the wordplay behind this idea of point, okay? And the nuances of language. So when he started trying to accumulate works for this, um, he began with a, um, a working list of point words and expressions. And they read like a stream of consciousness or they might remind us of the way the internet generates automatic searches for us. So, and he sent the, um, these ideas over to us, the curators, when he was working this out. He said there were things like points of contention, points of contact, points of contest, point blank, point blank range, the point you're making, the midpoint, the turning point, and so on. This is about half the list that he sent over. So he's interested in uh, language as much as, um, and the wordplay as much as the images. He was also very excited when he found alternative spellings of the word point. So a couple of artists he was looking at in the gallery's collection, uh, their surname is Pointer, spelled with a Y. And he said, that's got to be it. You know, that's got to be it. Now, only to him it meant that that's got to be in, but anyway, it, it, they are in, and they're quite puzzling, I suppose. 
who was also interested in objects where there was like um, a double point in the one object. So there's a trowel here, uh, somewhere, where it's a, obviously a pointed object. And then he said, pointed out to me that it was also um, evoked associations with a pointing trowel for shaping mortar. But I didn't even know what a pointing trowel was until he told me. But he said, no, 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 it's two things, it's two things. Or um, he was also very excited about the, over on that wall, you see two works from the collection, a painting by uh, an artist uh, from the 1960s in Britain, Keith Bourne, and then a small drawing by Salvador Rosa that's next to it from uh, so, um, 17th century Italian drawing. And he said, oh, they've got to be in because it's someone pointing, but they've changed their mind about the direction of the point. It's like, we call it pentimento, I suppose, and it appears in both works, and he's put them together, and he was very excited about that. I think there's a lot more that this display means to Patrick that we can't quite fathom. Um, the title of the work itself is a pun, the point of everything, and um, I'll just quote from him. He says, it's a pun on that you can solve the problem of the world. And it's a pun on or a nudge to the idea that artists have something to say, which is kind of weird. And he thinks that's weird that artists are considered as, um, you know, that artists are seen on the same level as maybe like artists like going to church, that artists somehow have this um, wisdom or, or, you know, he finds that quite crazy. Um, I think a little bit uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this work now as a puzzle and it's a puzzle in, in a couple of ways it's a puzzle for us as we try to fathom the work but it's just as much you'll see a puzzle for Patrick as he tries to put it together so it's a sort of a puzzle I think he has a puzzle when he's putting it together and he presents it as his finished puzzle. And for us, it's like we've presented with the finished puzzle and we have to work backwards to work out what he was thinking about and how these objects fit into this constraint. Um, and as I said before, when you're, he hasn't given too much away. We will be putting um, a label up shortly that it's just in production, which identifies all the gallery works that are in the display. But the rest of the works that are his collection, it's up to you to make what you want of them. Um, but he does say that if you if you're struggling to refer to the title, to you know look outside the square, it's like a cryptic crossword. Think about the medium, think about the artist's name, etc. And as part of his the puzzle, as part of the game. Um, Patrick always tries to put at least one unknowable piece in the display. And um, I'll give you an example. This is from a, a previous work he did, which was called The Gallery of Air. And in that, he says that the unknowable, unknowable piece was a tram ticket, and it had nothing to do with air on it at all. But if you were born at the right time, and you were in the right place, and you had the right job, you would also know that it was a free tram ticket from Sydney for air raid wardens during the war. <laughs> so he put that one in the gallery of air in the MGV uh, in 2013, and he said nobody got that. 
And um, I've become quite familiar with these objects and I guess Patrick's way of thinking over the last year as he's been working on this. And I've said to him, Patrick, I think, where, where's your unknowable piece? You've forgotten to put in the unknowable piece. And he said, oh, no, it could be there. But it's just like, um, I think, I sort of feel like I've decoded them all, but I'll leave it up to you to tell me which is the unknowable piece, I think. Um, now, a little bit more about his working practice, and I hinted at it a little bit when I said that he approached the gallery's collection first online. And this is the um, method that he's most familiar with. So he, um, for him, in recent years, the internet has become his proxy studio. Because, uh, like years ago, he used, when he was first a, a younger artist, he used to go down hunting through and scouring second-hand shops, looking for objects and the photographs for his collection. But since the internet has um, increased you know, in, in significance. Uh, most of his collection comes through the internet and he searches across the world um, uh, for, for objects. So he sits with his computer at his kitchen table and gets lost in the world of eBay. And he is he's fascinating because he, that is part of a game for him. It's like he's trying to beat the internet. He's like, he's trying to, he uses Google Translate, he uses uh, Google Scholar, he calls that his research assistant, and he, he tries to find these objects that nobody else can find using this constraint. Um, he, so if he's looking up point, he's, he's translating that into a number of languages, and he's um, searching in all those different languages for the word point. He also loves the way the internet, once you start searching, um, pull brings up suggested sites and he follows those links and he goes down these paths and then comes up with more works. So the objects that he's collected have come from around the world from this very methodical um, process that he uses. He really loves, yeah, yeah, he loves this, what he calls the internet scalability and he's always pitting himself against the internet. I guess the, the largest part of his collection are found photographs, but of a particular type. They're like vernacular, everyday photographs. They might be snapshots, postcards. Um, he's also tapped into defunct newspaper archives or film still archives. Um, and this is the fact that he collects photographs more so than other things is not surprising because they're the objects or the items that are most out there on the internet. And he describes uh, the internet, he says, is after all a world photo album without corners. And he talks about the images out there and the democratisation of the images out there. And the old photographs that he collects have lost their original meaning, um, but they they are embedded with a human connection. And I'm always saying, oh yeah, because that person, you start thinking about that person that's in the photograph, and he's saying, he always thinks about who's the photographer and what, what was the photographer thinking. He's always thinking it from that point of view. But ultimately, you know, a lot of the people in these photographs um, 
because they're old photographs, they've died, they've passed on. Their photographs have not been valued and there's a certain sort of, um, I don't know, melancholiness to it that, that all of these photographs can be made and they can have meaning for such a short time and then just be photographs, unknown people on the internet like that. It's sort of a metaphor, I think, for the bigger things about the human condition. Now, with this conceptual background, um, Patrick doesn't actually um, instill his work with a particular meaning. He gives it a title, he collects the objects according to the constraint, but he does accept, however, that, as he describes it, aspects of the world creep in. And he says about this display, if to collect is to gather your thoughts through things, on this occasion it's also to have matters of contention raised by things, as if by themselves. And he says religion, settlement and invasion dichotomies and tensions were all immediately thrown up in this display. Now he prefers not to elaborate on these issues that uh, get thrown up with these works, but he does place things in a particular way so that you see things together and you can bring to that what you want. I think, um, just generally speaking, despite his non-didactic intentions, Patrick's work, because it is so embedded with humanity, with objects that people have collected and owned, images of people, artworks that people have um, made, and drawing on this commonality of human gesture and experience, that inevitably this work presents a mirror of the world, and um, he often describes it as, when he's describing his work, as tragic comic. And I think that's what you see, that, you know, it's sad that it's sort of comedic, you know, at the same time. The other point I want to talk about regarding Patrick's work, and especially a work like this, is its intersections with curatorial practice. Um, because when you see a work which draws on the gallery's collection like this, it does, and you think about the way we hang works, now, um, it does raise those questions. And it's interesting that this institution has, um, I guess, a different approach to hanging the collection to a lot of mainstream institutions. And we, we are thematic and we mix things up across time and geography and, and so on in our permanent collection. And it's interesting that when Patrick first came to Adelaide, um, he said, oh, you're already doing it here. And um, he meant that, you know, he, he noticed that we hung differently to perhaps the National Gallery of Victoria, but he also wasn't uh, totally serious because what he's doing is so different to what we do as curators. Um, but still, that did amuse him, and then he thought, well, perhaps we could really upset the notion here by putting everything in a straight line in chronological order and, and so on. <laughs> But um, he was just joking. But he did, um, he has talked about this, and I'll just quote from you because it's quite interesting. And, I, you know, the idea of how it intersects with curatorial practice and how it's different is, um, is quite relevant, I think. 
And he says, this is um, a quote from his catalogue uh, for the NGV. He says, his role is a very different role. He has a comparative, oh, I'll say it in his words, there is a comparative sense of ease. There is an inevitable overlap in the expressive and intellectual act of curating, in the sense of arranging by associative order and the making of art via the collector's route. Both, both are determined by the archiving impulse. Both set out to impose order in their deliberate accumulation of things. Both also set out to question those orders and to let in doubt. There is an international phenomenon of artists who are attracted to this archiving order and the curating game as an art form and to entropy. These artists actively make trouble for the idea of the collection. So that's, he's, he's really thinking at it from a different point of view and from linking himself with other artists who work in this way. And he says, as an artist, I can collapse and ignore hierarchies and introduce my own personal interest to things more easily, more easily than a conventional curator can, perhaps. There is a poetry to be found in the continuous failure of the collection as a copy of the world and in the accidental connections of seemingly unrelated things placed within a systematic constraint. And I think he says... One other. This, most importantly, I am not interested in merely activating public gallery collections as an entertaining spectacle. I set out to rethink them and rethink things through them. If sometimes that appears spectacular, so be it. So that gives you an insight into his, uh, curatorial, his approach and how it differs from curators. Um, and I think the final point I would make about this work is that, you know, he's not fussed about it being such a temporary installation. That's fine. He's happy for it to be installed in this way. I think for us as curators, that makes it challenging to collect his work, but I wanted to share with you one work that we are pursuing for the collection, and it gives you an example of it. And it's, it is a totally photographic work, which... There's a detail of it on the front cover of his book, of the, of, um, the Great Exhibition, and it's called Damaged. And um, he started with, for this work, he started with a single constraint. Oh, I can show, I, I guess I can pass it around. It might be easier. Of a damaged photograph, or, or the idea of damage within a photograph. And he's put together a set of nearly 100 images and it's interesting, in, this, in the case of this work, what creeps in is human relationships and um, emotions. And it becomes a work about love and hate because you have images that have either been, like the cover on the catalogues, they've been burnt with a cigarette because there's been some aggression towards the person in the photograph. Or you have photographs that have been cut out to put in a locket, you know, you have exposed ideas. And you have jealousy and envy and all sorts of other things. So it's a really interesting work, and that's one that at the moment we, um, we are pursuing for the collection, but um, hopefully that'll, that'll get across the line. But that's about 
it for me, but do you have questions or comments or things you've discovered in this work here, the point of everything? One other thing I might just say is you'll see, notice a lot of, because you don't have the labels up, it's a bit difficult at the moment, but most of the objects that are in showcases are uh, gallery objects, that's a clue for you, except that he always puts one object from his own collection also in a showcase, um, and that's just to, you know, be part of the game, and he loves it when people mistake works from his own collection for works in the museum's collection. And I think, you won't name the, I can't name the institution, but on one occasion, an institution returned works for him which were actually in the museum's collection. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yes? Um, I'm interested in the collection of objects that you've because this is one in our collection, he would have done that visually. So look, this one I think is in our online collection. So he would have looked through every image in the online collection and found painting there. Yeah. But it's relentless sort of searching that he does. Any other questions or comments? Yes, Adam. This is like going to a couple of younger visitors and they love not knowing what it was about. Yes. I'm trying to work it out. And I thought that your comparison with a picture crossword was quite good because they came up with a million meanings for everything that actually missed the point. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, I think he would enjoy whatever people get from it because it is asking people to think and it's thinking in a different way and to make those connections and um, nothing is invalid apart from a good thing else it's Yes. Any other questions? Okay, thank you.